We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 14 this morning, the first 11 verses, and our lesson is titled, A Seat at the Table. Um, so I'll, I'll start with a, a reading of, the ver- of our study verses for this morning. Starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin, uh, you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's get a, a sense of time and place uh, where we are. The, the best guess of scholars and com- uh, commentators is that we're in the region of Perea, which is green on the map, and so that's east of the, uh, sort of northeast of the Dead Sea and then east of Jericho. And the when uh, of this uh, part of scripture is, is unknown, but we do know that Jesus is on his final journey towards Jerusalem. And it's possible that these events that we're going to study today take place before Jesus arrives in the, ta- in the towns of, of Judea, uh, which is, uh, and probably precedes um, when he tells a parable of the Good Samaritan, which we studied last time. And so there are several major players in, in this study. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a man with dropsy, and then there's a group of Pharisees, and we're told that we're in the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. So um, just really quick to uh, give you an idea of who the Pharisees were. So they were a religious sect that was founded in the second century BC, roughly around the late second century, and they were born out of a need for spiritual revival. And, and the root word for Pharisee means to separate because they wanted to be separate and have a different life from the the paganism of the Greek and Roman culture that was surrounding them. And the Pharisees, they were obsessed with with the law of Moses and their intent was strict adherence to Old Testament law. And they they had no interest in politics or mystical things and they also came mostly from the middle class. And their theology at the beginning was biblically accurate. They actually believed in the resurrection Uh, They believed in the Messiah's earthly kingdom. Um, They believed in the existence of demons, and they believed that humans had a responsibility and an accountability. But as time went on, the traditions and the laws that the Pharisees imposed on the people were impossible for anyone to achieve. And the Pharisees themselves couldn't couldn't adhere to their own strict teaching, but they, they made it seem like they did. Which brings us to our first study verse. It happened one Sabbath when he went for a meal at the house of one of the ruling Pharisees, that they were watching him closely and carefully. 
hoping to entrap him. So it's, it's the Sabbath day and Jesus has been invited to what's known as, as the midday meal at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees or, or of the local synagogue. And this meal mostly consisted of bread because according to Jewish rules that you couldn't cook on the Sabbath so you had to prepare a meal ahead of time. But the, their reason for including Jesus at this meal is, is suspect because the Greek word used for watching him closely is paratereo, and sometimes it's translated as paratirumenoi. And, and both words have a sinister implication to, to them because the Pharisees had, a, had an ulterior motive for inviting the Lord Jesus Christ to this meal. And so there in front of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a man who had dropsy. And there, there must have been a bit of irony um, when the Lord Jesus Christ and this, this man with the dropsy were, were looking at each other because they suddenly realized probably that they were being used as pawns at this meal, especially the man who had dropsy. And, and everything about the Pharisees was basically, it was getting, getting ahead in life. They, you were never invited to the home of a Pharisee for a meal unless the host could get something from you. So maybe they wanted a vote or maybe they wanted a donation or maybe they wanted a good word spoken in the assembly. There was always a price to be paid. And a person was never invited to the home of, a, of the religious elite because they were just good friends who were visiting. So, so Jesus and this medically ill man were, were meant to be chess pieces in a, in a very, very sick game. And some of you are probably familiar with the term dropsy. Um, the medical term that we use today is edema. And it's when fluid starts to collect in certain areas of the body. Sometimes it's the feet or the legs or the hands or around the gut or the torso. And it's, it's, it's the symptom of a disease. It's not a disease itself. And it usually indicates that one or more of a person's internal organs are starting to fail. And it and potentially could be a sign that a person doesn't have much longer to live. And if we put ourselves in the mindset of the Pharisees during this time, then we would see disease like edema as a sign of God's judgment on this man. That there was, there was some sin or some impurity in his life um, that caused God to give him this sickness. And, and of course, we know from a previous lesson that if any of the religious elite were to touch this man, they would automatically become unclean. Because, to go, because according to their rules, you, you touch a dead body, you touch someone that's sick, you may get what they have. And so you can see how, how twisted the, the Pharisees' thinking is. There, there's a dying man in their presence. And instead of ministering to him or helping ease his symptoms, they're instead using him as a pawn against the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what they were hoping for was that Je Jesus would heal this man and violate the restriction that, uh, in the Jewish law that basically said you can't work on the Sabbath. That was the only reason they took this terminally ill man and put him in front of Jesus. And, and Jesus knows this. So he says to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And, and that's a legitimate question because this is where the Lord Jesus Christ actually outmaneuvers them. If, if these Pharisees answer yes, that it is, is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they're being hypocrites and actually violating their own Sabbath laws. And they could be charged by their colleagues for breaking the rules. If they answer no, then they're seen as being heartless and lacking compassion towards someone who is suffering. And, and this would have led to the people in their congregation or at the temple um, or those who they socialize with, uh, they would be accused of being inhumane towards a dying man. So no matter how they answer Jesus' question, they're, they're going to offend somebody. They'd either offend the people in their temple social club or 
they'd offend their friends and families and, and drag their own reputations down. So this is their answer. They kept silent. And they're, they're probably now regretting that they even thought of trying to trick the Lord Jesus Christ. And here they are hoping to criticize him for doing what he's done in the past, for healing on the Sabbath. And, and they won't accept any, any type of responsibility or accountability for, for their actions here and, and for their interaction if they, if they uh, failed to do something on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they were so high up with their egos and their beliefs that they actually lost sight of who they're supposed to be worshiping, who they're supposed to be obeying, and most important, who they're supposed to be serving. And the, the Pharisees, they actually meant nothing but ill will for Jesus and for this man. But Jesus, with one question, turns the tables on them. Because the purpose of Jesus being at that meal in the first place was to heal the man. And so he does. And so we're, we're told he took, him, took hold of the man and healed him and sent him on his way. And can you imagine what that looked like? That the Lord Jesus Christ just reaches out and embraces this man. Someone who, who the religious elite just re absolutely refused to touch. And then right in front of our eyes, in an instant, the swelling just starts to disappear. The swelling from his legs just start to disappear maybe from his hands and from his torso and, and his insides are restored. And then just like that, Jesus just sends him on his way. And the story could end here, but Jesus isn't done with them just yet. So he turns and he says to them, which one of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they can't answer. And Sabbath regulations allow the Pharisees to provide water to their animals. But if the animal got caught in a fence or was injured, the Pharisees would, would break their rules to rescue that animal. And they put their personal property above their religious rules. And one of their children as well, if the child needed medical attention on the Sabbath, they'd break all of their precious rules to save their own child. But for someone who isn't a family member or someone who isn't inside their elite circle, they re regarded that person as less than human. And this, this becomes a slippery slope for, for Christians because when the rules are so burdensome that no one can bear them, and, and when people who created the rules constantly break them, then there's no accountability. And Jesus is trying to show them that they should be loving towards their neighbor and not the laws that they created. And they, they made the rules that they themselves won't even follow. And they enforce the rules on everyone else. And that's, that's a lack of integrity that leads to hypocrisy. And this is where, where some churches in the 21st century begin to go the way of the Pharisees without even realizing it. There's, we stress, we'll stress attendance over focusing uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you stress accepting Jesus as Savior, but you neglect talking about repentance or obedience. Or they preach material wealth or physical health in this life instead of preaching peace and security that comes because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And so for the second time, the Pharisees are faced with the errors and they, they can't say anything, um, and which shows that they were just a heartless group of men. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ still isn't done with them. Now Jesus began telling a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been selecting the places of honor at the table. So in order to understand this, the, this particular verse, we, we have to look at what a triclinium is. So this was a U-shaped table. Um, and in ancient times, folks ate while reclining on these couches. And it was a couch that held three people. Um, or if your family wasn't wealthy, perhaps you, you ate on the floor. 
And, and if you have uh, various tra Bible translations, you might see the words reclined at table. That's what it actually means when people were having a meal. They were reclining at the table. Um, and so this is how, how they ate during, during that time. Um, and, and for those of you who are, are fans of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, it's, it's, it's probably inaccurate because this is probably how they ate during The Last Supper as well. And so the host would sit in the middle table at the and then each middle seat on a, at the table or the couch actually was considered an honored place. And if you sat to the right side of the host, then that was the most honored, uh, that was the most honored seat. And the further away you sat from the host, that was, those were the seats of the least honor. So the Lord Jesus Christ sees these men and they're, they're jockeying for position, trying to get the most honored seats at, at these tables or at these couches. Um, and, and this is just betraying how selfish they were. They wanted human honor and human recognition, and, and, and none of that leads to salvation. They, but the, the Pharisees weren't understanding that, so Jesus has to teach them another lesson. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down to eat at a place of honor, since a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by the host. And he who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your place. And then in disgrace, you proceed to take the last place. But when you are invited, go and sit down to eat at the last place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who are at the table with you. And in, in ancient times, the most honored guests, people with status, had a tendency to arrive fashionably late, which is why someone could be conceivably be asked to take a lower place in the room and, and, and at the table. And it would, it would be so embarrassing to be told in front of everyone to get up and move to a lower status seat because in ancient times, especially in the Middle East, to be shamed amongst one's peers meant that as soon as that dinner was over, that your what, what, what happened to you will spread really fast through the community. And, but the Lord Jesus Christ also wasn't saying this so that the men in the room would intentionally take the lowest seat with the expectation of being invited um, by the host to move up. Um, and then, uh, they, then they would get up and then they would make a show of moving up to the highest seat and showing off, trying to get attention. And, and he wasn't saying that, that they should be virtue signalers either and that to... to fake that type of humility in front of the host and then the host oh you look so humble yeah come on up come on come on come on up and, and, and sit next to me what what the lord jesus christ was doing uh was he was pointing to them towards a, a spiritual reality and and the, the, so the point of the parable is very very simple it's that self-exaltation brings a person down and humility is what allows god to raise that person up and Jesus wanted the Pharisees to see that displays of spiritual pride are actually a mask for self-righteous arrogance. And th there, there's only one place for people to do that, and that's being sent further and further away from God. And he confirms this in the next verse, where he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled before others, and he who habitually humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus is taking what the Pharisees believed was acceptable behavior as ordained by their own man-made regulations and flipping all that upside down. And he's basically saying that genuine humility is more important than being recognized and making a name for yourself. 
God will do the exalting and God will do the humbling. And, and no matter how lowly we feel or how, others, how low others make us feel, in the end, it's God who exalts us. And people who bear the label Christian, if they exalt themselves like the Pharisees do, God will humble them. And some will get the message and others will be too proud to accept God's humbling. And we all know that the first one to be brought low according to the scriptures, was the devil. The devil thought that he could ascend to the highest heights and set his throne above Yahweh, and God cast him out of heaven. And the same fate awaits for those who are full of pride. So Christianity clearly is, is not about self-importance and self-aggrandizement, and that's a modern belief that's been sneaking into some churches for the past few decades. And People don't get into heaven by earning their way there through good works or bragging about their label as a Christian on social media or being proud of one's spirituality or, or keeping laws that aren't even in the Bible. That's a, that's a fallacy that's slowly being accepted by some modern churches. The only way to heaven is to habitually and, real, and have, a, uh, have a realistic view of yourself and acknowledge daily that salvation is through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three lessons and then three questions that we'll have. So the first lesson is that the Pharisees were blind to their own sickness. So the, the, the fact that a man who had dropsy had, had a legitimate medical condition and a legitimate need, it didn't mean anything to the Pharisees. They were just using him as a tool to attack, to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees themselves had an edema of their own. They were bloated. They were swelling with spiritual pride. And Jesus was trying to open their eyes to the spiritual illness that they had. And in Jesus' day, just like today, there are people who crave the attention and they want to be popular. They want to rise to the highest heights of society. They want to feel important. They're not content standing on the sidewalk with everyone else. They want to be on a stage above everyone else. And they get invited to the right events and they mingle with the right people uh, just to show how important they are. But what is that actually? That's caring more about your reputation than you, are, than you care about your character. And the Pharisees, they saw themselves as people of value while ignoring the value of everyone else. And every one of us has contributed something to God's kingdom. And, and it's probably something that most people w would overlook. And we don't get recognized for it. But, but we do these things anyway, even though no one knows. Some of you still attend the regular Bible study, not because you, you have to, but because you want to. You, and you don't just go out there, hey, I broadcast it to everyone. Hey, I attended a Bible study. You, you have a, cra a genuine craving to know about God and God's character and not brag about it. And more often than not, we know that we ha there is this need in, in all of us to to feel recognized and to feel appreciated. But in the 21st century, most people start looking for it in the wrong place. They find affirmation through social media likes instead of looking for a warm hug and encouraging words of a family member or a friend when it should be the other way around. And, and many today would ra rather go grow closer to their smartphone screen than to another human being. And they end up pushing people away instead of bringing them close. Which brings us to our second lesson point. The Pharisees pushed Jesus away instead of drawing near to him. So this group of men had actually witnessed a miracle take place in front of them, and yet some of them still rejected the Son of God. Jesus didn't fit into the, their idea of who the Messiah was that they were looking for, and because he challenged all of their rules. 
and all of their expectations. And, and instead of wanting to learn more from him, they are finding ways to discredit him. Because if they can discredit him, then they don't have to follow what he says. And, and that's been going on since, uh, since Jesus walked the earth up until today. People will push Jesus away because they don't like what he's saying. And what he's doing in the lives of, of genuine believers today is like, oh, you know, that guy who's been on drugs for, and, and alcohol for the last three decades, he's, he's turned his life around and he's, and he's been clean and sober because of this Jesus guy. And that, that's awesome. Oh, oh wait, you, you mean I have, to, I have to give up happy hour on Fridays and Saturday nights and, and bar hopping on, on the weekends? Uh, yeah, this, this Jesus guy, he's not for me. I don't, I don't like those rules. I like my own rules. Or that... That woman who, who used to be in adult films and she gave that up and married a Christian man and gave her life to Christ and they go and they minister to women who were formerly in the adult film industry. That's, that's amazing. Oh, you know, I, I don't see how this Jesus guy can accept someone because of her past. That's, that's, that's wrong. What's wrong with him? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like his rules. So people will, will come up with the smallest of ways to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ just like the Pharisees did it only because they see that his truth reveals their own errors and their own pride and so de denying Jesus gives them in their minds justification to live their lives the way they want because they want to be in control of their lives and this leads to a very very terrifying form of selfishness selfishness at its core is diminishing the importance of others while puffing oneself up which leads to our second or third lesson point. Self-exaltation brings a person low while humility raises them up. So the, the way into the kingdom of heaven is not self-promotion and not self-aggrandizement and not through being entitled to anything you want, but through genuine humility, through genuine repentance, and through the knowledge that we are sinners who are in daily need of a savior. And the religious elites of Jesus' day and those of today worried more about religious form and religious ritual more than they did about a genuine repentance of heart. And what the Christian life really is is submission to God's sovereign will. It's a willingness to follow God's laws, no matter what society says, no matter what some of our friends say. And that leads us to our first question. Do you fear humility? It's, it's, humility is very much looked down on in today's world it, as, as much as it was in Jesus' day. It's, it's seen as a character flaw today instead of a, a positive trait. Uh, it's seen as a, a, a character trait of people who are, who are weak and cowardly is how it's presented today. And, and the world likes to take advantage of weak and cowardly people just like the Pharisees did with this man with dropsy. A lot of people fear humility because of how they think others will look at them. And, and no one wants to be taken advantage of. No one wants to be ridiculed. No one wants to be ignored when the kudos and the recognition are thrown around. And no one wants to be bullied and, and treated poorly. And so people fear humility because that means they have to surrender to someone. Humility means that you're not going to be the center of attention. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the prime example of humility. Uh, the late theologian William Barclay wrote that when we measure ourselves based on others, it's easy to think of ourselves as morally good. But Jesus is the standard who we measure ourselves by because when we see what God demands of us, when we see that Jesus demands of us, that should actually silence our pride right away. Uh, one commentator wrote that if you say you know you have humility, you've probably already lost it. And God is not impressed by our opinions of how much better we are than anyone else.
which leads to our second question. Is your life focused on being better than everyone else? For, for whatever reason, whether it's peer pressure or social media pressures, the 21st century might as well be known as the century where people are conditioned to outdo each other, and it, it does spread into the church. And granted, there, there, there's a healthy side of competition, but once competition turns into a craving for more than just winning, then it turns into the constant craving for attention and power. Then you have a, end up having a disease like the Pharisees. And, and when Brother John, when he stands in this spot, when, when Michael teaches or, or when I'm here, this is not a competition between the three of us to see who delivers the, the better sermon or who gets the most attention. We, we do two very important things for you. We, we expose the truth of God's word to you and then we get you to think about it. And when Ricardo and when Sanjesh and Thomas lead us in our opening and closing prayers, when Nathaniel serves as our worship leader and he leads us through, through the singing, and, and when Thomas also leads us through communion, they're standing here not because they want attention and want to be seen, but to put our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and to focus our prayers on others. And, and the focus is always on God's word and on God not ours, so be, be wary of anyone who stands in a place like this and preaches eloquent words from a self-help book that has no biblical or solid biblical foundation or preaches their experiences and urges you to follow their experiences or preaches their own personal social viewpoint because if a church body goes in that direction, then eventually you have a congregation that will follow the teacher instead of following God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So be wary of such teaching. Be wary of anyone who craves to be seen and craves to be heard because they're no better than the Pharisees putting on a show to fill their own egos. And so that leads us to our final question. Who will you choose to dine with? So let's go back to, to the beginning uh, of our study passages. Like the man with dropsy, we all need healing. And like this man, we're caught up in a spiritual battle between a holy and a righteous God who wants us with him in heaven and the devil and his fallen ones who want to take us with them into hell. And we all have worldly and negative and evil influences in our lives and people like the Pharisees who want to use us for their own gain, whether they're flesh and blood beings or whether they're spiritual beings. They assault us with accusatory voices. They'll say, this is, you're in this situation because of your sin or you're, you're beyond healing or you're beyond saving or they'll, they'll say something along the lines of, you will never be like me. I'm better than you. But the good news is, is that we have a savior and just like Jesus put his arms around the man with dropsy, he wants to put his arms around each and every one of us daily and you'll still hear those voices but in the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are safe unless you pull away from him. If you choose to dine with Jesus and feast on his words and mirror his character and acknowledge him as the only way to salvation, you've been saved, but you have to dine with him daily, with him as the host at the head of your table and not as a guest in your home. You have to follow him daily and repent daily and obey him as the master of your life. You can't have salvation without repentance and obedience. And if you continue to follow him, both as your savior and as your master, one day he will say to you, friend, come up higher. <laughs>